All right. Hello, everyone. This is Adrienne Lloyd. I'm here with the Women in Healthcare podcast, and I am so excited to have um, a dear friend and former colleague of mine, Roshi Didaban, um, here from Mayo Clinic to join us. And Roshi is the Chief Administrative Officer of Mayo Clinic in Arizona, um, the number one hospital in the ranked by U.S. News and World Report for 11 years in a row. Um, She works with the CEO, Dr. Gray, to provide leadership and implement the Mayo Clinic strategic plan, as well as just helping really expand their presence in Arizona and the Southwest. Um, Prior to becoming Chief Administrative Officer, she worked as the Chief Practice Officer for Mayo Clinic, focusing on organization-wide strategic and operational leadership for clinical quality, patient experience, patient access, nursing, clinical systems and health information management services, and also as the secretary and lead for the clinical practice committee. Um, She has been at Mayo Clinic since 2002 and has had a variety of roles, um, as well as working on numerous committees at both the site and enterprise level. And she also is the um, an assistant professor in healthcare administration and a fellow of the American College of Healthcare Executives and has a bachelor's of science in community health from University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign and a master's of health science in health finance and management from John Hopkins University and is just, again, as I said, a very dear friend and um, just someone I cannot share with you guys how um, much I value this individual and how strong of a leader and female I think she is. Um, And I'm just excited for the conversation. So Roshi, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today and um, to share with all of us. And really, we were excited to have this platform to just be able to share. We've all got so many different stories, um, both as leaders and as women and healthcare. And just, I think there's so many similarities as we all go through our journeys that we really just be able to share with each other um, and can all learn from each other in some way. So thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Adrian, thank you so much for inviting me and just um, the opportunity. I couldn't agree with you more that so many of our stories are similar and the more we can share and, and really share what we've learned over time and, you know, how we've um, navigated our journey. I think the stronger we become as leaders and especially healthcare leaders. So thank you for the invitation. Oh, of course. Absolutely. I can't wait to get you on here. So, <laughs> um, but I'd love to just start off and, you know, have you share a little bit with why you chose healthcare and healthcare leadership um, You kind of in the first place. And really, you know, what do you love most about what you do and what you're working on? Yeah, thanks for that. Um, you know, thinking back to like what first energized me about healthcare, I, I go all the way back to high school. And, you know, I really do think of working in healthcare as a calling and it's a calling to serve others. But in my high school years, I volunteered at a children's HIV clinic at Cook County Hospital in Chicago, which is the major county hospital in Chicago, Illinois, um, and uh, can be a very challenging place. And, And they so struggled with finances that this HIV children's clinic was like literally in the hallway between the ED and the clinic building. It was literally in like a thoroughfare. Um, And so I observed all the challenges, right, in healthcare. I I observed the challenges in access to healthcare, the fragmentation of healthcare, the cost of healthcare. Um, But I also got to see this power of hope, the power of healing, the power of compassion, and working with those children really inspired with, within me this fire. Um, and that fire of wanting to serve others and wanting to serve a greater purpose 
is something that like continues my motivation today and also is what I love doing today. And it, it's why I continue to work in healthcare. Awesome. No, I love that. I love that. I had a similar experience working in the children's um, actually patient like playroom area when I was in college and I was already probably on the healthcare path, but it was just, yeah, there's something about pediatrics, even though didn't spend a ton of my time there, but oh, it just, yeah. Um, all right. So let's talk. We wanted to talk today really about failure and perseverance and just overall growth. And, you know, why do you feel, I know you um, have recently shared some of these lessons that you've learned along the way with some other kind of um, forums and, um, and speaking engagements as well, but what do you feel, you know, failure, why is it so important for growth um, to really just help us move forward? And what have you found? And maybe an yeah. example too. Yeah. I mean, I, I think as um, I think back, I think many of us in our careers or as children really started with some, some pretty dangerous comments. And what I mean by that is like, I think we were all told as young children, failure is not an option. Or we were told like number two is the first loser. And like, imagine like in, in my household, I remember I'd like bring home an A and my dad would joke and say, where's the plus? Like it was, it was never good enough. Yeah. Like we, we were kind of like in this, exactly. It's like perfectionism <laughs> as the yeah. focus. And so when you think about that as the starting point for how many of us grew up, what it does is it creates this natural fear of failure. And I think many of us would agree that that fear of failure has in many ways caused us to avoid risk, avoid opportunities, um, and especially avoid taking on assignments where success is not clearly defined and it's not laid out well. And so I, I have seen in my career these amazing leaders. And of course, Adrian, you're not one of them because you've taken risk after risk after risk. Oh, I, I don't know. I still feel that way. <laughs> but like, but yeah. like I've seen these amazing leaders that avoid kind of taking on that hard, ambiguous assignment that's going to help them grow dramatically as leaders because of the fear of failure and because they don't know exactly how to accomplish a goal. Right. And I believe that as leaders, and especially in healthcare, we have to be willing to take on the unsolvable problems and really have the potential to fail at trying them. But if we don't push ourselves, we're not gonna be able to achieve that transformed healthcare system where we can care for our patients better, care for our communities better, care for each other better. We have to be willing to kind of solve the unsolvable. And, and that's why I think failure is really critical to growth. Like yeah, you have to fail because that's what makes you stronger. Right. Yeah. And there's just, there's no way that we're going to know the answers yeah. the first time, but Agreed. no, I think it's, I appreciate you saying I've taken risk and I definitely have taken risk, but I, I think we all yeah. have, but I, I, I hear what you're saying and that, that fear of like not knowing. Mm -hmm. And I do think that's something as leaders, we can all do better of like really crafting the vision of what does success look like in that yeah. role or with that project for our team. And I think that helps allay some of that fear, mm -hmm. but it's very, I, I mean, I still feel it. I know you still feel it too. And it's that like, pushing through in spite of and um, knowing, but, you know, I, I agree. It's one of those things that's. And, and I think sometimes like um, we get stuck on the process rather than the outcome. And I think if we can really focus on what is like that major purpose or goal or outcome, it, it gives us the flexibility to like 
pivot and flex in how we get to that outcome. But I find that oftentimes as leaders, we we fo- overly focus on the process right? and we don't overly focus on, no, but what should this look like at the end? And what's the best way to get to that end spot? Oh, I think, yeah, I think that's absolutely critical. It's the, and not, and, and I think too, as leaders, I think we often were we're trained as well to be very prescriptive with our teams and, you know, to Mike, you know, and when you start out as your leader in your new role too, to some degree, like you're trying to learn the details, you're trying to figure out which team member has the skills and capability to take the right actions. and do the, So you are in the weeds more. And then yeah. as you move up and you move into bigger roles, I know that's, it's one of the things that was a challenge for me and still is, is like crafting that vision giving your team like some rough parameters so they don't waste time. So they don't, you know, set off an alarm bell somewhere, you know, that you could, that you were going to see coming, but also giving them the freedom to actually create what that journey looks like. Um, Yeah, no, I I agree. I agree. And, and I, I also think that, you know, in healthcare, we save lives every day. I mean, that is, that is part of why we're in healthcare is because we want to provide new solutions to patients. We want to help them achieve health um, and and really help them navigate through some of the most vulnerable times in their lives. Mm-hmm. And so healthcare has a lot of focus on perfectionism. Right. But I think sometimes we forget there's a lot of business processes around that perfectionism that yep. you can take risk on. You can try new things and do different things without impacting the care of those patients, which is our very focus and our very mission. Oh, absolutely. I think that's one of the things, and you know, I process improvement background. Like if when you really map out a process or you look at, mm-hmm. I mean, usually it's 10 to 20% of the actual process yes. is really impacting the direct patient care mm-hmm. quality. And we of course want to make that as best, you know, as, as fantastic as possible and as perfect as possible. Yeah. But it's all the rest of the stuff that yes. you know we can really make significant impact, save time, and make it just yeah. more enjoyable to but, do what we do. But what an incredible like metric you just shared, which is that eighty percent of the things we do in healthcare we can innovate around. Like that's what I just heard. Yeah. Like yeah. you Absolutely. say, yeah. you know, if if ten to twenty percent are really focused on the patient, that means we have the space to innovate in healthcare and really transform the way we deliver care in a way that is more efficient, more accessible, less fragmented, more personalized. I mean, there's a huge capacity for us to really innovate. Absolutely. And and we still can innovate in that 20%, you know, that, t- that 10, 20%. Yeah. I think just sometimes what I see is people, and often that 10 to 20% is involving the physicians, right? Yes. <laughs> like, well, if, they just, if they just change, then it'll all be. And I'm like, well, yes, there may need to be changes there. there and I know, you know, Mayo, when I was there and you guys still are doing a lot of work and conversations around, you know, standardization and what needs to be similar in terms of both process, you know, administrative and operational, but also clinical and to create more consistency of care. And those things are extremely important. And, but it's, I think it's often hard and people focus too much on that. Like what needs to be consistent from how our providers treat X, Y, or Z patient. It's very important. But if the rest of the processes are so dysfunctional or just disjointed, it's really hard to have this conversation. It's hard to have data to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. And then it's hard to like really create success there because the providers are, are understandably saying, well, yeah, okay. You know, look yeah. at all of these things over here that need to change. So absolutely. Um, so 
you know, we talked about that really in order to, it sounds like the paradox of failure is that you must fail more to succeed more. Um, is there a experience that you've had where you, you're like, okay, I, <laughs> a reminder <laughs> perhaps along the way that you yes. felt um, that? Yeah. So I, um, I truly believe that in order to have the most successful career as a leader, you have to be willing to fail. And I, and I do think we all need to be more comfortable with failure. And I think about like key leadership attributes that require a willingness to fail. You think about risk tolerance, you think about curiosity. We talked a lot about innovation and change, entrepreneurship, you know, all of those capabilities that we believe are really critical to leaders require us to be comfortable with failure. And so you, you ask about like an experience I had and you know, my very first experience with failure was really early in my career. And it was my first job after the fellowship. (laughs) And you you mentioned earlier, Adrian, like that, like, you know, you get into your first role and you're trying to be perfect. And and that's where I was. And I um, was one of those early leaders in my career, you know, 20 plus years ago, that first job after my administrative fellowship and my physician partner pulled me aside one day and said, Roshi, you're failing. And it was my first time in my life (laughs) anyone had ever told me I was failing. And what he said to me was, you're failing to engage your team. Mm -hmm. You're failing to create followership. You're failing to recognize accomplishments of those that you're working with and how they're serving our patients and our communities. And, you know, it was really hard to hear that. And so the first thing I often tell individuals I'm working with is anytime someone takes the risk to give you feedback, the first thing out of your mouth, no matter what is thank you. Thank you. And, and the reason is, is because they're taking a risk. They're taking a risk that they care so much about you and your development that they're willing to take the risk that you're going to be defensive or argumentative or, you know, cry in front of them and they're going to have to like manage you crying. (laughs) And I have cried many times just to be clear. Me too. (laughs) Um, Often in my car, but (laughs) I I did not cry in that moment, but I have cried many times throughout my career at work. Um, And it's okay. It's okay to show emotion at work. Um, but started with thank you, but then, you know, there's, there's three things that I think are really important when you're, you're thinking about how do you get through a failure or how do you get through when you hit that failure point? And there's three things I often say. One is, and I did this in this case, number one, you have to pick your attitude. Yeah. Um, you know, are you going to be a pessimist and say, well, forget it. I'm not going to do it. Or are you going to be an optimist and say, I can choose to see that there's an opportunity here for me to be better. The second one is, I think you have to pick your perspective. And so you can have self-pity or you can choose to overcome. And I, and I love that quote that your attitude determines your altitude and the, the attitude, the perspective you bring to the problem allows you to have that perseverance to get through it. And then the last thing I often say is pick your purpose. Um, why are you doing what you do every day? Why do you come into work? Why do you work with the people you work with? And if you can figure out what that greater purpose is, that purpose can actually get you through any kind of conflict or hurdle or failure because you're aiming for a bigger goal. 
And so in working with that physician, you know, first and foremost, I was like, thank you. Second is I deeply invested in myself. And I said, clearly, I don't have the skill set to lead people, which I saw my greater purpose, which is that I wanted to grow my career of commitment and care at Mayo Clinic. And so I invested in myself and I said, you know what? I have great people around me. I have colleagues. I was working with you uh, around that time and I have people who care about me and they're going to help me get through this and learn to do it better and continue to succeed. And, and I wanted to serve that greater purpose of Mayo Clinic and put the needs of our patients first. Well, I think a lot of leaders, myself included, struggle with, you know, I think early in your career, or even, you know, neither of us have official clinical backgrounds. Um, you know, we weren't nurses or techs or anything. So, um, but I think probably those, you know, those individuals with a clinical background may even have more of a challenge with this where you shift mm -hmm. from, you're shifting from that be or the do, you know, the doer, the, the, doer. Like, finding the answers, the solving the problems, the triaging the issues to the like leading and guiding and coaching other, you know, the leader, the guider, the coach, right? Like shift, uh -huh. shift is really, really um, challenging and not because we don't want to lead and we don't want to be a coach. We don't want to be a guide. Like we want, we want, we want to support our team. We love seeing, I know you love that mentorship process as much as I do. Um, but we are, we're, you know, we're to some degree, we're kind of protective of our team. We don't want them to make a mistake and like cause us or cause right. them more so, you know, challenges, but we also are just, you know, want, want to be, you know, really part of, part of that. And it's shifting the mindset of being part, like helping facilitate the change versus making the changes or doing those activities. It's, it's a challenge. I think a lot of people really struggle with that. It is. And I, I mean, I've struggled a lot in my career around that art of delegation and, mm -hmm. you know, the, the two, the two lessons from two different mentors, uh, in my career, uh, the, the first was if you delegate something and they get it 90% of the way that you would have done it, yes. you should take it as a win because you didn't have to do it. The second person, um, said to me that when you don't delegate, you are, you're actually taking something away from the development of others yeah. and that, you know, you delegating is their opportunity to grow and learn and develop and struggle and fail and get better. And when you don't do it, you're, you're actually like lessening their ability to progress in their careers. And yeah. so it is a gift you're giving to, you know, those who will hopefully succeed you in future roles by not delegating, by not investing, but it's hard. It's something yeah. I still really struggle with. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, honestly, maybe delegation as much as it is a word and it is, you know, something we're all familiar with. It's, it is that like offering up the opportunity or engaging, right. It's more mm -hmm. of that than it's like, I'm just giving you this work. It's like, no, I want you I believe in you. And as you said too, like, I think when somebody gives you feedback, like most often we're not giving feedback to people if we feel like they're not capable of change, but yes. those people that we can see more in and we believe can do more and be better and all of those things, those are the ones that we can, and we should give mm -hmm. that feedback to, we should give them the opportunity to, to lead. I completely and agree. So, completely agree. Yeah. So they saw the physician saw that in you. Hopefully. I think they were Hopefully right. I didn't disappoint them. <laughs> I, I doubt, I highly doubt it. Um, so we've talked about failure and, um, but what about perseverance? Like what is, um, you know, it's really, that's defined as, 
you know, doing something despite difficulty or delay, you know, having those delays and achieving success. How do you define perseverance and why is it important? And is there an example where you've really just felt you had to lean into that? Yeah. So I, you know, we, we've talked a lot in other environments about resilience and I, and, you know, I have struggled a little bit with resilience because resilience to me feels like people are attacking me and I have to be strong and stand up. Whereas to me, perseverance is something that I don't just have to defend against. I actually am owning leading forward and continuing to try, et cetera. And so I actually do think there's such a power in perseverance and it's being steadfast. It's being determined. It's persisting in those, the face of those challenges, those obstacles. It's having clarity on what is the goal you're ultimately trying to achieve and then giving yourself the space and capacity to say, I'm determined, I'm going to get to that point and I'll pivot along the way and that's okay. But I am actively going to continue to make it to that goal. And, and so I do think that difference between resilience and persistence or perseverance is, is an important one just to like sit with and really think about what is the difference there and, and why is it really perseverance that allows you to continue to grow and develop? Mm-hmm. Um, so as I think about like my, my career around that, um, you know, one example was probably m- mid-career. Uh, interestingly, the, the person that I did this work with uh, asked me in an, in an interview for the role, <laughs> he said, would you rather have, uh, four successes and zero failures or five successes and three failures? And at that time in my career, when I was such a perfectionist, it was like, I only want the four successes. I don't want any failures. <laughs> the, the good thing is, is that, uh, he took me on anyways, as his yeah. partner, he taught me a lot about innovation kind of through our work together, but you know, an example of, you know, we decided that we wanted to outsource coding in the emergency department. He was the chair of the emergency department. And it's something that had never been done before at Mayo Clinic. And there were naysayers everywhere. So IT, finance, uh, risk, over and over and over again, where people were like, these are all the reasons you can't do it. And so in that case, for me, perseverance began with clarity of vision. Like I knew what I wanted to accomplish, why I wanted to accomplish it, why it was good for Mayo Clinic. And where I landed was I became very clear on the goal, but I became very flexible on the process and the timeline and the approach on how to get there. And to me, that's an example of perseverance. You're very clear on the goal, but you're willing to be flexible on other things that ensure that you can get to that point. Um, And, you know, it was tough and we fought really hard, but ultimately we got it done. (laughs) I am not surprised, (laughs) but no, no, I think that's, I, that's one thing I'm still, you know, now even, you know, in my own own entrepreneurial space, Mm -hmm. it's a completely different journey. And I was actually talking to my own coach today earlier about the like, really getting clear on the vision. So journaling, hmm. whatever those writing those things out, having your outcomes and then trusting the how, and as you said, being able to like pivot along the way, it's really hard. <laughs> not, it's not really hard. Um, so, and, and I think holding that space too, as leaders, holding that space for our team to do the same thing and to have those many, those many failures along the way, 
um, you know, both many and many, but like, yeah, like really helping them do that and, um, and trusting that you're there for feedback and guidance, but not where it needs to be to be constructive, but yeah, it's something that is, um, Mm -hmm. I love, I love that how you phrase that. And trusting the journey. Life is a journey. And there is a piece of it that is also about trusting the journey that, you know, it, that if your intention is right and your vision is strong, that, you know, there's a bit of trust that it takes as you work with others and kind of get to that goal that it's going to work out. Yeah. Do you feel like I, I feel like you and I know, I guess over 20 years now, um, I feel like there's an element maybe early on, and you've kind of said this too, like in our careers where we felt like we had to be the tougher, the stronger, the more mm-hmm. poised, the more both for ourselves and how we presented and also for our teams, like you felt like you had to carry a lot more. And even though we're in, you were in bigger roles now, do you feel like you get to be, this is a little off script, so I didn't give you this question. That's no, okay. <laughs> um, you know, do you feel like you get to actually lean back more into as you said, trusting the journey, kind of being a little, you know, not that you're not super strong and able to make those tough decisions and have those tough conversations. Cause I know you do. Um, we've had them, um, ourselves, but, um, you know, that you get to kind of lean more into like that softer side at times. And how does it, how does, how does it feel different compared to maybe? I, I probably, no, I think it's a good question. Cause I probably do feel like I am I've gotten to the point where I can be my most authentic self. And I'm not saying that there aren't moments where I like put on my game face sure. and I am, you know, but, you know, last week, actually, I was on a Zoom meeting and it, it was like the preliminary discussion before we got to the agenda. And someone who I've known at Mayo Clinic probably for, you know, 10 years um, just commented to me, they said, you know, Roshi, when you and I first met, it was probably six or seven years ago. Um, they were like, my first meeting with you, we were in Rochester, Minnesota. And you said, I forgot my flat iron in Arizona and my hair is a mess. And she's <laughs> like, in that moment, she said, I realized you are a real person. You are not like Roshi right. on high. Like yeah. you are a real woman. You're a real person. Right. And, right. and I know that's like kind of a silly example, but like those moments where we can just be ourselves and be authentic. Yeah. I actually, I think people know when you're being inauthentic as a leader and it creates distrust. And I think the more you can be really clear about who you are as a person and what you, what your principles are and what you believe about leadership and the more you can be vulnerable about yeah. your challenges or things that don't go well i actually i do feel like i've gotten to the point in my career where i can be my true authentic self i can be honest about where i'm vulnerable or the mistakes i've made in my career and just because you share those things just because you're vulnerable doesn't take away from your confidence and your capability and your ability to lead the organization and and i think it's important I do think it's important. Yeah, I think it's actually those moments that I've had, you know, as you mentioned, like we've all all shed a few tears along the way. Most of the times when I got to that point in those roles, it wasn't from like being sad. It wasn't really that I got like somebody up attacked me or upset me or anything like that. It was honestly, a lot of it was overwhelm. And I think, you know, being like carrying the like, well, what if this or what if knowing the organization or the market shifting or whatever those things are that you as a leader feel like, you know, we mentioned like protecting your team, right? Like, I don't want them to worry. 
And those moments when you're trying to carry all of that, like those were the moments where, you know, mm-hmm. I remember very clearly, like just being like, I have to excuse myself now, but not before the tears came. But in those moments, you know, that was when the team, you know, kind of like walk back in and they're kind of looking at each other. Cause they're like, oh, wow. Like we didn't know that you actually, we were just in that like driver mode, right? Like we were driving mm-hmm. the change and trying to make things yeah. happen. But yet when those moments where you're able to actually show them and communicate, like, this is the why, this is where we are. Here's the good, bad, and not, you know, really ugly, but also we're going to be okay. And as you said, that like clarity of vision and then getting them to come along with you, like those moments of vulnerability and transparency are so huge. Agree. Completely agree. Yeah. Um, so once we, um, along those lines, what are one of two ways that you've really cultivated like mindful practice to kind of help you navigate your leadership roles and just life and yeah I so the first you know the first thought that comes to my mind is actually what we just talked about and um be being your authentic self I think part of being your authentic self is recognizing what does it take for you to be your best self at work every day so as leaders and in life but like as as leaders um the eyes are often on us, how we show up, how we engage, how we communicate. And what I, what I recognized early in my career is that when I was not in my best place, when I was not my best self, it's when I showed up as a leader, I didn't want to be, I was short with people. I was condescending. Um, I was stressed. Um, I, I was, like I had those behaviors that was not the ultimate leader I wanted to be as a person. And the lesson I had to learn was what does it take for Roshi to show up every day as her best self? Yeah. And that is different for every person. Sure. So for me, it's, I need to get enough sleep. I need to have a venti Americano in the morning. <laughs> I need the caffeine. <laughs> um, you know, I need, yeah. like, I love to travel. I need the breaks um, yeah. that allow me to travel and see the world. Um, but that that first kind of strategy is figuring out, you know, we know 50% of leaders are struggling to cope with the challenges of their job. Yeah, at least, yes. At least. Yeah. But I mean, that's what the data tells us. Yeah. And so if that's the case, we all need to take a step back and say, what does it take for me to show up every day as my best self? Right. That's my goal. And you schedule and you make time for that every day, every week um, to ensure that you are taking care of yourself. You have those coping strategies. You have those things that allow you to show up as your best self and you do them consistently. Yeah. So that would be the first thing. The second thing I think is critically important is gratitude. Um, and, and I might do two things, gratitude and awe. I think um, working in healthcare, we deliver, and not me personally, our teams deliver (laughs) um, miracles every single day. Our teams transform lives every single day. Um, We walk outside and there's like beautiful trees and birds and mountains and, you know, whatever may be in your environment. And I think cultivating a practice of both being grateful for the incredible things that are happening around us and having that sense of awe about what we get to deliver every day, I think creates um, 
I think it creates joy. I think it um, allows you to have a different perspective when challenges arise because you're you're coming from that perspective of of gratitude um, as kind of your starting point. Oh, I love those. I love those. And I think that's where, you know, anything that, you know, I, I, the first things you talked about to really create understanding and identifying what are those things that are going to replenish your energy and give you kind of joy and happiness um, and not only making time for them and scheduling them. I think it's really important too, to have those conversations, to engage and enroll, you know, your significant other friends, family, but also those team in that, you know, like this is, this really helps me be my best self. Some people, it may be, you know, I need to go to the gym. You know, I've had providers, physicians who are like, you know, I really, it's really important to me to go to the gym three times a week. And that means they weren't, they didn't want Mm -hmm. to, it didn't always work, but, you know, come in for that early meeting and, you know, but having the understanding of the why versus just like them not being willing to do something, having those conversations with your team around, this is important for me to be my best self. And also I want to try as best we can to create those same moments or hours or, you know, components for you that are going to connect with you. And sometimes that happens inside the work, you know, container, and sometimes it's outside, you know, the work container, but having that conversation of supporting that I think is support important because I know as a leader, I've had moments where I've not done those things and I've pushed myself to the limits. And I was actually being a really bad role model um, for my team because they were trying to emulate me in that way. And it was, you know, a very fast track to burnout for all of us. We course corrected, but yeah, that's, you know, really having that awareness is so important. And just starting to have that dialogue, I think is critical. Agreed. Um, Yeah. I think that dialogue is a really good point. And I think it was, Adrian, I think it was you who told me about someone you were working with that, um, you know, couldn't get to like their kid's soccer game or something. And like they're, when they had the discussion with their team, their team wanted them to get to their kid's soccer game. And so that, that ability to be vulnerable, trust your team, share that thing that's important to you and have them help you accomplish that thing, I think is, is just an incredible approach. And it does take vulnerability as a leader to share what that thing is. Um, But I also think that, you know, we want to help each other. That's human nature. I know. Well, and I had another, um, one of the groups I was coaching with another guy who was actually, he said, you know, I want to find love and like be in a relationship. And he's like, but I have to keep canceling dates all the time because the practice was running late or they were having some meeting or some conversation with a physician. We all have had, or leader, you know, that, you know, turns the 30 minute conversation turns into two hours. And, you know, he's like, nobody's going to be in a relationship with me because I can't be consistent and have that, Mm -hmm. you know, ability to show up. And, you know, being at his vulnerability in those moments to share that in front of his team, Mm -hmm. because I do realize, and I am a mom, but I realize when I wasn't a mom, you know, and people bring up their kids, you know, you're kind of like, well, not all of us have those things, but everybody has something Something. they want Mm -hmm. both bigger for maybe their career, but also bigger in their life or, or different in their life and being able to have that conversation and support each other. It's just, yeah, it's so, so key. I, cause we do. um, And I love the, the gratitude and awe. It's really creating that those, those moments too. It's, you know, like happiness is not a like end goal. It's those like moments of joy and, you know, excitement along the way, what we do and how we get to partner together and really creating that team. So, well, to that, what is, um, is there something right now that you guys are working on at Mayo that you're really excited about and what impact are you working to create, or do you hope you'll create kind of coming through that? 
So in what's interesting is if like you take a step back in 2019, Mayo Clinic really made a commitment that we wanted to lead the transformation of healthcare, um, which is a really bold statement yeah. for an organization to say, especially as we know how complicated healthcare is. And I you know, mentioned it earlier, it's really fragmented, it's not affordable, it's hard to access, we have major workforce challenges, it's not personal enough. Um, and, it, and you look at how many healthcare organizations are not in a sustainable position to continue to invest in healthcare. And so, you know, we talk about failure and perseverance, imagine how much failure and perseverance it's gonna take to transform healthcare. Um, right. And so, you know, we recognize that in being bold in that way, in wanting to figure out how do we use our data and expertise, use platform approaches, use digital, accelerate how we utilize our data to deliver brand new solutions to patients globally and really ensuring we're adopting new technology. Um, that has been our focus broadly as an organization. Um, at Mayo Clinic in Arizona, We've been embracing that change. Uh, we've launched an AI innovation hub, really looking for ways to drive AI capabilities through our organization, serving our patients and staff. Um, one of the things I'm really excited about is this year, the last year, we launched what we call Discovery Oasis. Hmm. And Discovery Oasis is a 120 acre uh, biomedical uh, corridor that's really focused on innovation. So we plan to bring together a community of both established and early stage biotechnology companies, researchers, entrepreneurs, all who are committed to this transformation of healthcare. These 120 acres are located directly across the street from our Mayo Clinic Phoenix campus, right across from our hospital and our researchers and our physicians. And we're really trying to create an ecosystem of change. And so that's something that really excites me. Um, we've engaged almost 40 companies at this point who have an interest on locating at Discovery Oasis and hoping to get shovels in the ground in 2024 so that we can awesome. really kick off that space. So I'm super excited about that. But I would also say what I'm most proud of is our people. Yeah. Um, over the last year, we have grown our staff by nearly 12%. Wow. And you can imagine like that dramatic growth and accelerated pace. It's like, how do you keep people connected to your mission, to your vision, to your values? However, this amazing growth, these amazing people have come together in a truly team-based way, serving our patients, finding new cures, training the next generation, really hitting it out of the park at every level in healthcare. And it's truly the people that I get to work with in Arizona that excite and inspire me about our future. That's fantastic. Well, and I think you and I too, as you know, and you mentioned every every organization in healthcare has really seen significant impacts with turnover the last couple of years, but you and I were talking about turnover rates at Mayo and yeah. extremely, extremely low yes. compared to other, you know, other organizations that mm -hmm. I've worked with or data that I've seen. And so is there, I think yeah. that focus on the people the folks and the people, the open conversations around Agree. that transformation. I think when people can be part of something bigger, it makes such a huge difference, whether that's a team and they really feel connected to that team, which I know is something that's there, or it's a broader, like longer vision. And I don't know, is there anything that you would add to, to that? You know, the thing that I think we've, we've really focused on in the last year was deeply connecting with our staff. And as we grow at that accelerated space, at that accelerated pace, um, you know, 
Dr. Rick Gray, who's our CEO, and I have been very purposeful in holding monthly meals with our new staff, whether they're physicians or allied health staff, but every single staff member, we've taken the time to meet with, to hear their stories, to connect them to our purpose and our mission. Um, but we also want them to know who we are. Yeah. Um, because one of the things that was really important to me moving into the CAO role is I didn't want there to be any barrier between the staff and myself. And you know, any staff member can reach out to me. I'm happy to meet with anyone. I round regularly to connect with our staff and hear what their challenges are. But then I've also been really purposeful on responding to every single employee. And so we have, you know, quarterly all staff meetings. And even if we don't get to all the electronic questions or that sort of thing, I personally respond to every employee who asks a question. Because I do think that responsiveness and connection is really important. No, it, it absolutely is. How do you balance that with the large initiatives and efforts that you're also yeah. working on? Is that anything that you So found? I think, I, you know, um, I think as a leader, it's important to be focused both on the big stuff and the little stuff. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes, um, you know, we, we have to, prioritize, right? And now it's, you know, the beginning of the year, you know, we're a week and a half into January. And um, now's the perfect time to say, what are those goals I have for this year? And it's very easy to get stuck in the fires of the day, the emergencies of the day. But I think if you can take time to say, what are the big things I want to accomplish this year, and refer to them regularly and create time for them on your schedule. um, I think, to me, but it's it's constant prioritization and balance, right? It's what are the problems I have to solve today, this week, this month, this quarter, this year? Um, but you have to focus both on the big things and the little things simultaneously. And it's hard. I don't I don't yeah. really yeah. think I have a trick <laughs> for it, um, other than to be really clear on what are the big things you want to accomplish and st- stay really connected to those things to ensure you're moving the ball forward. I love that. Well, I could talk to you all day, but what's to kind of wrap things up, what's one piece of advice or lesson that you've learned that you wish if you would have known sooner or you would share with others as they kind of move through their challenges and are working to drive success for themselves and their teams? Yeah, I, you know, one of them was what I just shared around prioritization. I think early in my career, I was so focused on everything has to get done today and it has to get done well. And I have to check the box on everything. Um, and I, and I, uh, I, I do think one of the lessons I learned was, and, and, you know, you talked earlier about like having to leave work because you took on so much stress. I mean, that happened to me early in my career where I literally had to leave in the middle of the day and go hide under my covers because I was so completely drained. (laughs) And, and the, the lesson I, I learned was, um, you know, there's, you always have to follow through right? That's a leadership competency we all need to do. But you also need to be able to, when someone asks you for something, you have to be able to say, I totally understand why you want that. Kind of looking at my priorities, is it okay if I get back to you by next, like Friday? Or can can I get back to you by the end of the month? And setting appropriate timelines um, and setting boundaries in a way that really allows you to feel successful and feel like you can balance to me is really important. And then um, 
connecting to a greater purpose. I think sometimes we start our careers and we're, we just want to accomplish yeah. and we don't take the time to say, okay, what's the greater purpose here? Why, why am I doing this each day? Yeah. And I think having that like personal purpose can really help you in the decisions you make and how you navigate your career. Right. No, I think that's great. And I think sometimes for me, it was sometimes, you know, being able to kind of reconnect it, maybe just taking time to pause and reflect. It may be meeting with your team. It may be walking through, you know, the hospital or the practice or, you know, getting inside an OR procedure room or see, like seeing where yes. kind of the magic happens, right? Like I Agree. think as administrative leaders, it's, it's easy to feel disconnected from the, it you is. know, the true things, the gifts and the journeys that our teams are creating every day. And so being able to reconnect with that is so, so important. Mm -hmm. I agree. Thank you so, so much for taking the time to be with us today. I just really, really appreciate it. And um, thank you everyone for listening. We will include um, contact information if you have follow-up questions. And of course you can connect with Roshi on LinkedIn as well. Um, but just thank you all for listening. And again, we all have similar struggles and challenges and, and successes as well. So um, hopefully this was very helpful. Um, so Roshi, thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to spend time with you today. Thank you.